Hi there, I'm Pastor Billy. There are a lot of ways to engage with us, but I wanted to take a moment today to thank you for listening here on the Harrisonburg Nazarene Church Podcast. Also, you can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. For more about the church, please check out our website, abeaconofhope.org. That's abeaconofhope.org. You can also catch us live on Facebook each Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. So good to see you on this uh, holiday weekend. Uh, I want to begin with a story today, if I could. And uh, it's a good story because it's a story from my middle school years. And so I know we've got some middle schoolers in the room today. We're so glad you're here and love you and appreciate you. Uh, We were talking this week in my home, uh, sometimes just the questions that you talk about around the table, and one of them was, Dad, what would you do if you didn't do what you do? In other words, if you weren't a pastor, what would you do? And I kind of think I would be a middle school teacher. I I don't know um, why. I just love that age. I started ministry here at HFCN to middle schoolers, and there's just something really fun about that age group. But if you can imagine, those of you that know me well, you know me now in some of my awkwardness. If you can imagine me as an eighth grader, it was a beautiful sight to behold because I was just all the way awkward and fun and just a weird. But I, I made this decision in eighth grade where I kind of learned a couple things about myself. And one was that I was really loud. That hasn't really changed. Um, but I, I was really loud. In fact, growing up, I knew that I was loud because people told me I was loud. My, my teachers specifically, they would send the report card home and I'd have great grades, but it would say, Adrian talks too much. And I was confused by that because I didn't feel like I was talking more than anyone else. The problem was I was louder than everyone else. So when everybody's talking, my teacher would just hear me. So I decided in eighth grade that uh, if I'm really loud and I don't mind being up in front of people, which I didn't, I thought theater would be like a really fun elective to try. And so eighth grade, I figured I'll use two of my greatest strengths, being able to embarrass myself and being really loud and try to harness it. And so here I am in, in eighth grade theater class and we begin um, doing some short stories and poems by Edgar Allan Poe, which are really kind of weird anyway, if you haven't read those lately. So this particular scene that I'm in, I-, I would love to say that I was the star actor, I was the leading role, but I think I was really typecast in this particular scene as I, I come out and there's this kind of scene happening, and this is my only line is to come out, I look at what's happening in character, as you can imagine, right? In character, I look at what's happening, I look at the audience, and then I just scream at the top of my lungs, jump off the stage and run away screaming the entire time. So clearly, I was typecast for my loud vocals. But um, So we practice week after week in our, our class, and then comes time for a performance. It's an assembly. So the kids that are there, they may not be excited at all to see the production of Edgar Allan Poe poems, but they're really excited because they don't have to be in class. So they're there, and they're watching, and uh, it's the, you know, I'm in my costume, which was, I don't know what it was, but it was the costume, and this is the moment where I'm coming out on stage, and everything I had rehearsed helped me up to this moment except one thing. On this particular day, the performance, the lighting was very different. Because you see, most days as we practice, it's kind of like the lighting in here now. I can see you, you can see me, and I can be on the stage. And as I would jump off the stage, I would clearly go to where I was supposed to go. But on this particular day, the lights in the auditorium were totally out. And if you've never been on a stage with bright lights when the auditorium is totally dark, you can't see a thing. And I didn't realize that yet. In fact, I didn't realize it until the moment when I come out and I see the thing and I look at the crowd and I scream and then I go to jump off the stage and realize I can't see anything. 
But that doesn't deter me. I'm committed to my role and my part. So I jump off the stage and I just run. I mean, full steam. It doesn't matter that I can't see. I kind of going in the direction of where the aisle should be. And as you can imagine, I missed the aisle entirely. And so uh, about two seats over from the aisle was a row of kids that saw me coming and jumped out of the way because I hit the first row full steam, feet above my head, stumble over. And I think it sounded something like, oh, boom, 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 boom. And then I just get up, look around, and scream and run down the aisle the whole time. So I don't think if the audience knew whether to applaud or feel sad or not sure what the... But that was me, awkward eighth grade theater performance. I want to talk to you today about seeing, seeing the importance of of being able to see, right? And specifically, uh, my title this morning for my message is Eyes to See. Man, that, that is so important. Uh, in that moment, it certainly was, but it's so important for us today. We're going to be reading today from Luke chapter 7. If you have your copy of Scripture, uh, this is God's Word for us, and this is the Gospel according to Luke. And we're going to read today a specific encounter that Jesus had in the house of a Pharisee. And I believe this encounter has a lot to say to us, not just like 2,000 years ago when it happened, but today, in 2019, I believe this encounter has a lot to say about this concept of eyes to see. And so I'm going to begin reading in verse 36. And uh, if you want to follow along with me in your copy of Scripture or it's behind me on the screen, this is God's word for us today. It says this, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and this kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. I want, to, I want to stop for a moment, and there is a lot happening here, and I want us to just pause and understand. We're going to continue to verse 41 in a minute, so keep your copy of Scripture there. But I want to pause and just help us understand what is happening here. Jesus is invited to dinner, and we know gathering around the table in the Judean culture was important. It meant something. It was not just, let's get a sandwich. It was communion. And so Jesus accepts the invitation from these religious leaders. And if you can imagine, gathered around the table that day, Jesus was at this time a little bit of a celebrity, not by his own desire, but because of the things that he was doing and because of the things that God was doing through him. And so around the table that day were the religious elite of the day, the who's who in the authority of the um, local religious authority there. And so Simon's there, probably other Pharisees, other religious leaders gathered around the table. And as would be pretty customary in that culture, when there was a banquet or a dinner being held on the outskirts of the room, maybe just outside uh, within listening is a group of people that would gather. They're not invited to the dinner. They're not invited to the banquet. They weren't important enough. They didn't make the cut, but they're just listening in, especially when someone like Jesus would show up. Somebody, they, they were leaning in. They wanted to hear what was this guy about. And so if you can imagine the scene around the table with Jesus and the religious leaders and then the outskirts of the crowd, and that's when... We, we see a woman. A woman comes into the story. We don't know her name. We're not given her name. But all we know is that she's a woman. In fact, all we really know about her is her reputation. She's a sinful woman. 
We don't know anything else about her, but we know that. And there's a couple things that are important implications here. First and foremost, a woman in, in this Jewish culture would never be invited to a banquet as an official guest. And so she was not invited. She was not welcome here. And a Jewish rabbi, as Jesus was, certainly would not be permitted in this culture to, to speak to a woman in public, and certainly he wouldn't be allowed to have her join him at the table. And a woman with this kind of past, with this kind of reputation, would never be welcome in the house of a Pharisee, a religious leader of the day. Yet, in spite of all of those things, Jesus welcomes her. A woman a nobody. She has no name. She's only known by her reputation, but Jesus welcomes her anyway. And so she comes onto the scene, but then I want you to really see what's happening here, because if you look back with me into verse 37, we see that a woman who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She has come not by chance, not by, oh, I oh, who's that? Oh, that's Jesus. Let me go see. No, no, no. She has come to the house on this particular day on a mission. She didn't just happen upon this, oh, here's an expensive jar of perfume. Let me pick it up and no, no, no. She has come to this meal knowing that she's about to walk into enemy territory. That everyone there, she will feel their gaze, she will feel their judgment, that she is known by her reputation, but she comes anyway, and she comes with this jar of perfume, and, and the story says that she comes, and she stands right behind Jesus. Now, in the Jewish culture, they don't just sit at the table and eat, they would actually kneel and recline, and so I don't really know how you kneel and recline, I would not want to eat much, so maybe that's a good plan, I don't know, but Jesus would kneel, so his feet were actually uh, tucked under behind him. And so the story says, while Jesus is at the table eating, she enters the room, and she comes directly behind Jesus, and she, in that moment, standing there at the feet of Jesus, she begins to weep. Not cry, not get a little emotional because the cute commercial with puppy dogs, I've done that before, okay, I'm not proud of it, but not that kind of, not kind of a, I mean, I mean, weeping in this moment overcome by emotion, overcome by grief. Uh, uh, maybe in that moment, she feels the judgment. She feels the glances. She hears the whispers, the scoffing of everyone else around the table. And maybe in that moment, it was too much for her to hold. Maybe she understands that she's in the presence of Jesus, but for whatever reason, she stands there and she begins to weep. So much so that her tears fall in and begin to wet the feet of Jesus. And, and, then, and then she does something, man, that is so, is so scandalous in their culture and their day. She takes down her hair. Now, that means nothing to us. But in a Jewish culture, a woman would never take down her hair in public. In fact, on her wedding day, she would bound up her hair, put her hair up, and was never to be permitted to be seen in public again with her hair down. This was a big deal. But this woman, she's not caught up in the societal norms. She's not adhering to the do's and don'ts. She is just caught up in emotion and in worship. And so as she weeps and as her tears fall on her Savior's feet, she lets down her hair and begins to dry his feet. And then she takes her perfume and we know nothing about this woman except that she's lived a sinful life. And because of that, this perfume probably represents everything she has. 
I mean, many historians and scholars think that she was probably a prostitute. And so this is not a woman that has a lot of possessions and a lot of things to her name, but she takes probably the one thing that she has, and she begins to anoint the feet of her Savior, Jesus. Needless to say, everyone in the room, everyone in the room is watching this, maybe in unbelief, maybe scoffing, maybe ready to stone this woman. I'm not really sure, but they begin to mutter amongst themselves. And even Simon begins to question, is this, if he was even a rabbi, if he was even a teacher, if he was even a prophet, he would know that what's happening here is not okay. Let's continue reading in verse 41. Before we do, there's three customs. There's three customs that anyone that would host a Jewish gathering would adhere to. The first custom was this, that when someone would enter your home, you would greet them, and you would greet them in a way that's a little different for us in a Western culture. Uh, maybe not all cultures, but maybe our culture here uh, in the U.S. is they would greet them by putting a hand on their shoulder and offering them a kiss, probably on the cheek, uh, a formal greeting, a greeting of peace. Next, as is very customary in a gathering like this, a, a basin of water would be provided to wash the feet of the guests. And finally, the guests would each be, uh, either incense would be burned to produce a nice smell, or, or a, a little bit of oil would be placed on their heads. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but maybe the most important implication is they may not smell that good from traveling on the road. And so it was a, a customary thing. And what we know as we begin to read Jesus' story, there's a lot that we don't know about this gathering, but we know that none of those customs were followed for this particular gathering. And so I say all of that to say, I give all that background to say, let's read now the story that Jesus tells Simon in response to all that's happened. Jesus says this, uh, Luke 7, verse 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One of them 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarii was like a day's wage. So in, in other words, Jesus is saying one of them owed 500 days wages and the other 50. But neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Well, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. You, you didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, have not stopped kissing my feet, and you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? But in verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's powerful implications in what Jesus is saying here, but here is the truth. The truth is this, that as we recognize, as we realize the depth of our sin, we understand the depth of God's forgiveness. That, that as we understand the depth of our brokenness and the depth of our, that there is power in understanding the depth of God's forgiveness for us. 
And I don't know everything that that woman was experiencing that day, but I think in that moment she was overcome, and she was overcome by understanding the depth of forgiveness that was offered to her. And so Jesus shares this story because ultimately Jesus reminds uh, her, reminds everyone in the room, look, look, it's not your tears that save you. It's not some elaborate worship ritual, although she was overcome with worship in that moment and she held nothing back. She poured everything she had at the feet of Jesus, even at the risk of what little reputation she had left. But Jesus said, you're not saved because of that. In fact, he makes sure, remember in verse 50, it is your faith that has saved you. Go in peace. And this morning, there's powerful implications from this story. And I think from the woman's perspective, this story is really powerful, but I want to close in the remaining time that I have with us left this morning. And I want to focus on this story through the lens, through the eyes, through the perspective of Simon, the Pharisee, the host that day who gathered all his friends around. And yeah, even that Jesus, that rabbi gathered in the room. I think there's powerful implications for us in understanding eyes to see. There's a picture on the screen of somebody you may or may not be familiar with. His name is Blake. And Blake uh, McCoskey, while traveling in, in 2006, he discovered a need. He discovered a need that he felt compelled to be a part of addressing a, a solution to it. And, and that was that there are many people in the world that struggle just to find shoes for their feet. And in third world countries and around the world, because of this lack of a basic thing that we take for granted... They're more susceptible to disease, that it holds them back from having the ability to finish school and all kinds of things because of just a basic need. And so he decided, he set out on a mission to start a shoe company. But this shoe company would be different because this shoe company, uh, every pair of shoes that you buy will give shoes away to someone that is in need. It's, it's a one-for-one one idea that every one pair of shoes that's purchased through his company, they give one pair of shoes away. And this organization, you might be familiar with it, it's called Palms. It's become very famous and popular for this model that at the time was really extreme. In fact, it was a terrible business model initially because they lost money for several years. Their bottom line, they were in the red every year because they continued to give a pair of shoes away every time they sold one. Well, today, they've given millions and millions, over 60 million pairs of shoes away in 70 different countries. And I got to be a part a few years ago with a team from our church. We were at a mission trip in Guatemala, and on one day, uh, we were kind of surprised and found out that we would get to be a part of a shoe drop there in the village where we got to literally kneel and give the gift of shoes to children and boys and girls and moms and dads who did not have them. It was a powerful moment. But I share all of Blake's story to share that a few years later, they took the, a step further with this company, this one-for-one one model, because they learned that in the world today, there are over 285 million people that are blind. They cannot see. And over 80% of them, that can be prevented. Over 80% of those situations, those cases, it can be prevented by prescription eyeglasses or, or surgery. And so he set out on a one-to-one -one mission, not with shoes this time, but with glasses, and he said this, every time we sell a pair of glasses, we're going to give sight to someone that's in need. It was a bold uh, mission, but through partnerships and over time, they began to have these partnerships. And I remember one particular story that touched me. It was a young woman who lived in Nepal 
She couldn't have been more than just 22, 23 years old. She was a young mother but had been blind from birth. In, in any culture, that's hard, but especially in a culture like that, a woman who can't see just has very few opportunities. But on this uh, particular story, they share that she was able to have uh, surgery. They believed that through this surgery, they could restore her sight and she'd be able to see again. She had never seen a day in her life. And the, the camera showed the story as she had the procedure, but then several days later, she had to come back to remove the bandages and maybe for the first time be able to see. And what moved me in that moment as I saw her story on the camera is, is she gathered that day, but to her left was her little girl, three years old. And in her arms, she held her little baby, only a few months old. And as they took the bandages off for the very first time, we got to witness this woman seeing real things for the very first time. And as she looked down to see her baby for the very first time, and, and as she looked to her left, and she embraced her little girl and looked into her eyes for the very first time. It was a powerful moment for me to witness somebody who could not see, but now had their eyes, their vision restored. I say all that to say I want to close by imagining what it would be like to be blind and then suddenly having your eyes open. And I believe in this story, Simon, the Pharisee, he didn't see. It's not that he couldn't see. I believe he had the ability to, but in this story, without a shadow of a doubt, he did not see. And you say, well, what does that mean, Adrian? What does that mean in three ways? First, I think it's clear in this story that we just read that Simon does not see the woman. He didn't see her. Oh, he saw her reputation. He saw her sinful life. He saw the mistakes that she made. He saw her reputation. But look at what Jesus says in Luke 7, verse 44. He turned to the woman and then says to Simon, Do you see this woman? Do you see her? Do you really see her? Not just your assumptions about her, not just what has been said about her, but Simon, look into her eyes. Do you see her? I believe Simon didn't. He didn't see. He just, he just saw uh, her past. He just saw her brokenness. He just saw all the ways that she didn't measure up. All Simon could see was her past, but Jesus saw her future. And in that moment, Simon didn't see it. The next thing that Simon didn't see is Simon didn't really see himself. Now, that sounds really weird, but let me explain. Simon was so busy seeing the sin in her life he was so busy seeing her broken past and all of her failures and all her mistakes that Simon didn't see the brokenness in his own heart and in his own life. He didn't even see himself. He was totally unaware of his own sin. And Jesus tells this story. And the point of the story in Luke chapter 7, it was not about the amount of sin you've committed. It was about the awareness of your sin. And in this story, the woman's sin, oh, they were known. Everybody could see them, but Simon's sin was hidden, discreet, under wraps. Nobody around him could see it. See, Simon and the woman were both sinners. It's not about the amount of sin, but your awareness of sin. And in this moment, Simon could not see that he was a sinner in need of grace. Finally, maybe most profound, Simon does not see, he did not see 
his Savior. That he missed Jesus. And we don't know the reason that Jesus was even invited to this gathering. And because of the customary things that were not, that he was not greeted properly, his feet were not washed, we, we're not even sure that he was an honored guest. Maybe he was just coming so they could patronize him in some way. We don't really understand. But we know, and look in verse 39, Simon doesn't even say, he's like, oh, if this guy was even a prophet, he would know that this woman shouldn't be near him. And Simon's totally missing it. He doesn't even see. His skepticism, his doubts, his religious duty are clouding his vision, and he cannot even see that the Son of God, the Savior of the world, is right in his presence. He doesn't see it. He doesn't see it. So what does this mean for us? What is this story that, as I read this week, I just felt drawn to it time and time again for us on this Sunday morning? And this is a powerful story when it happened, but this is a powerful story for us. And for me, I think the true meaning for us comes back to a simple prayer, a simple prayer that is really challenging me and changing me. The prayer is this, Lord, give me eyes to see. Lord, give me eyes to see. They say, well, I don't, I'm not tracking here. What does that mean? In the same ways that Simon did not see, I'm praying, Lord, give me eyes to see. Lord, give me eyes to see others. Give me, not just to, not just to pass them by, not just to go and say, oh, that person is that, but to really look into their eyes and see them. See the person that Jesus love. See the person that is desperately in need of grace. See the person that is not just the sum of their failures and the faults and the mistakes and the rumors, but you actually look into their eyes and see them. One of the best things about this summer for me in our church is we had uh, the best week ever, a week of serving in our community. And one of the powerful things that God did in my heart that week is he allowed me to truly see people that I so often miss. They live in my community. I drive by day after day, but I don't truly see them. And so my prayer is, Lord, help me see others, truly see them. In the same way, an equally powerful prayer is, Lord, help me to see myself. And the reason that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount preached against uh, looking at the speck in someone else's eye when we have a plank in our own eye is because so often we focus on others and their brokenness and their sin, and their, but we don't take the time to really stand before the Lord and say, wow, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I need healing. I need grace. And what do we do? We live our lives with pride where we act like we're okay and we think if we work hard enough and we're religious enough and when we do that, we're just like Simon the Pharisee that's so focused on the brokenness of others that we miss that we are a sinner in need of grace. Lord, help me to see myself, my own need, to be honest about my own brokenness before you because it's in being honest, it's in when I can truly see myself that I am open and aware of my need for you. And that leads to the final prayer, I think, is give me eyes to see my Savior. Because the truth is, no matter where you are today, 
No matter how broken your journey has been, no matter how hard life is right now, no matter how broken and sinful your life has been, the truth is that Jesus Christ, your Savior, is standing right there with you. He's right there in the room, man. He's not far off. He's not distant. And if you're not careful, if your eyes will be so clouded that you will miss him. And right now, some of us, we're, we're missing him. And we feel like God is so distant and he's so absent. And we wish he would just show up in our lives. And today, I'm praying, God, give me eyes to see you. Not in spite of my feelings, in spite of my circumstances, in spite of the hard things. God, give me eyes to see that you are right here in the room with me. And I don't want to miss it. I don't know about you. I don't want to miss it, Jesus. I don't want to miss it. Because my eyes are so clouded. My vision is so clouded by so many other things. I love the prayer in Mark chapter 9 of a man that encounters Jesus. And in that moment, he's just overcome with his own struggle of faith, his own struggle and, and his vision being clouded. And so he just, he tells Jesus in this moment of honesty, he says, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. That's what this prayer is to me. Jesus, I believe you're there. Would you help me? Help me in the times where unbelief causes me to doubt your presence. Help me in the times where unbelief causes me to look at the wind and the waves around me instead of keeping my eyes fixed on you. Help me, Jesus, when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death and I feel like I'm all alone. Lord, help my unbelief and help me to see that you're right there with me the whole time. Lord, give me eyes to see. This morning, with your heads bowed, I just want to pray for you. Is that okay? Could I just pause before we close and go about our business of the day and the things that we need to accomplish? Could I just stop for a moment and pray for you and pray with you that you will have eyes to see? Lord, we need you today. We need you and we desire today that you would open our eyes. Maybe for the first time. Lord, I pray that you will give us eyes to see people in our community, people in our neighborhoods, people in our schools, in our campuses, in our workplaces, Lord. And I pray this week we would not be the same because we would say, Lord, open my eyes to see others. Not their mistakes, not their past, not their brokenness. Help me to see them how you see them. And Lord, some of us today in this room, give us the courage to see ourselves, that it's not about how hard we work, it's not about that we can do it on our own. God, today we are in desperate need of your grace. And the moment we can admit that, the moment we can come out of hiding, Lord, there is healing in the room. When we can stop and say, Lord, just give me eyes to see my need for you, my need for a savior my need for help. Jesus, when we do that, you give us eyes to see Jesus. You give us eyes to see you. You are right here with us. You're not distant. You're not far off. You're an ever-present help in time of trouble. So Jesus, I don't want to miss you. I don't want to miss your presence. You are close, close to the brokenhearted. So Lord, give us eyes to see your presence.
no matter where we find ourselves today. We love you. And Lord, we need you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening here today. If you have any questions at all, feel free to reach out to us at info at a beaconofhope.org. That's info at a beaconofhope.org. If you happen to be in the Harrisonburg, Virginia area, we'd love for you to join us at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia. We meet every Sunday morning at 9 and 1030 a.m. in English and then at 1145 in Spanish. Celebrate Recovery also meets here each and every week, Monday nights at 6 p.m. If you enjoyed the podcast today, please be sure to subscribe in order to get updates and new episodes. 